0: circus training can save your life sometimes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story. The moral <laughs> of the story. Exactly. It's, it's not just
0: for show, folks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: We had our own personal security guard that would basically guard the crossbones.
2: I don't think we take it for granted so, so much. It's yeah. just...
0: Especially not now. Not, especially
2: not now, yeah, yeah. But the traveling has been so great and to explore you know, other countries and cultures and together and, yeah. and to be able to perform in all these different stage, different venues, indoor, outdoor, whatever.
3: Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast. And hello, we're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Rob. On this episode, we'll be talking to
1: Naomi brinkman Jezmundo and Otavio Gesmundo about The Grand Gypsy, circus history, and intersecting disciplines.
3: Otavio, also known as Mr. G, was born into entertainment and hails from over six generations of recorded circus performers, and he is co-author of The Grand Gypsy. His vast theater experience ranges from stage performances to creative production. Otavio has performed as a dancer, singer, actor, and stuntman. He's also a stunt director and choreographer with a unique ability to integrate dance with stunts.
1: Naomi, AKA Mrs. G was born in Utrecht, Holland, where she began her shirinji Kempo martial arts training at the age of four. By age six, She's focused on dance and attended the Royal Academy of Ballet in Amsterdam and then graduated from the Academy of Dance in Rotterdam with a bachelor's degree in classical ballet and folkloristic dance, with additional specialties in contemporary jazz, flamenco, character dance, and choreography. She's enjoyed an extensive career throughout Europe, Canada and the United States. Naomi and Otavio are certified Ashtanga yoga instructors and the founders of the Dragon Vinyasa system. They perform together their crossbow act as Mr. and Mrs. G. Welcome guys to the show. Thanks, Hi. great to be here.
0: <laughs>
1: so you've just been traveling and um, got back to Las Vegas. So tell us briefly about what you were doing just before you returned to Las Vegas.
0: Well, uh, last year, we were working in Germany at the Crystal Palace Theater for uh, um, which was an awesome company, a great experience for a show called Reine Nervensache."
2: I think the correct yeah, pronunciation yeah, would be,
0: uh, which translates into pure nerve wracking, <laughs> which <laughs> involved a lot of stunts and some very high energy uh, stunt like acts um not only were we performing our crossbow act but we were also hired to choreograph the show so we went um in february of last year to start the process of teaching the choreography and we did it we mounted the show and we ran for two weeks and then everything came to a grinding halt <laughs> as we know the world stopped um and we had about three months off and then we got back on again for a seven additional weeks and then after that was done We decided to go in Spain because everything here in the States was closed up. um, It was pretty bad back here. So we decided to go and hang out in Spain. And uh, so we did that for a number of uh, months, uh, continued our training and created some music video. We created a music video in the process of it, which we're hoping to premiere in in an online show to be announced, hopefully soon. Then we went to uh, Holland to spend and pass the holidays and then came came back here to Las Vegas a year later from when we left our home.
1: Mm, fantastic. <laughs> You've both got a broad experience in dance and yoga and martial arts. And I guess those give you a lot of body awareness. And how does that help? Does that help and feed the Crossbow Act and, and, and as you work together as a, as a partnership?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, the yoga is um, ever since uh, we started, because we started together to yeah. do yoga seriously for that, for lack of a better term, I guess. And uh, now it's a, uh, yeah, it's kind of a ritual. It's like every morning starts day, set the tone and uh, kind of wipe the slate clean to, to start anew. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that, ha- so we do that as well right before or the same day that we performed just to calm down, to get started basically. And yeah. with that, uh, yeah, the martial arts, so martial arts comes in very, very handy as well, flexibility wise. and Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's why, you know, kind of when we created the Dragon Vinyasa system that integrated yoga and martial arts, we presented it at one of the studios that we were, that we were trained at. And then we eventually started teaching. Uh, We found that we realized that the benefit not only for some of our students, but for us and our performance, because within our crossbow performance, uh, we integrate dance with it. So uh, we have to go from this very high energy performance and movement to becoming very still, focused, calm and in order to make those shots happen safely and accurately, and then go right back into high energy and dance. So we discovered that the Dragon Vinyasa system really helped us with that because with the integration of the yoga, which was very calming, uh, Ujjayi breath, as it is called, you know, it's like a, uh, like a hollow sound in the, in the throat and it calms the mind as well as heats up the body and, and the stretching. And then we would go into explosive martial arts segment and then right back into the yoga was a way for us to calm our breath and calm our our, our heartbeat basically and uh, to be steady for those shots. So it really intersected uh, well for our performance, combining those two elements.
1: I have to tell you a funny story before Anna asks her question because when you talk about Ujjayi breathing, I've practised yoga for 16 years now as well and um, I used to work at the Beatles show Love in Las Vegas and the first time uh-huh. I called the show many, many, many years ago been away for a long time I was very nervous so I was doing a dry breathing before I started the show and also as I started to call yeah. the show because I was trying to keep myself calm it was so funny because everybody was like yeah you did a really good job but you were breathing really heavy <laughs> and I was like oh that's so embarrassing that I like my first show call I said what is this person like breathing really heavy while she's calling the show but it worked it worked it does right, it does right, right? Yeah, it, it, does. Does. Yeah. it really does it really yeah.
0: helps to focus the the mind, yeah. <laughs> so not just call call for a physical
1: the performance, for mental performance as well. For a more, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely,
0: yeah. absolutely, and that's part of you know for our crossbow act and for that performance, it's it's quite mental. Mm. <laughs> it's quite funny yes. how I said it's yes. <laughs> yes, mental it in a couple mental. of ways, I guess. In a couple <laughs> of ways, some people say yeah, you no, guys no, are no, crazy no, for, what, no, for what, what
3: you do, but you <laughs> are totally mental <laughs> to do something like that. Yeah, I was just gonna say that I don't know if really. That act, or the crossbow, slows your heart rate at all? Because you were saying to go from dance to a calm situation. I don't know if that would be very calm for me, but if you say so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you have to force the calmness <laughs> to into your Absolutely. body. Yeah,
3: that's where all the training <laughs> comes.
1: So you say that you inherited the crossbow act and then made it yours. So, like, how did you? How did you sort of take that? discipline and then shape yourselves into
0: that act? Well, my sister had been doing a crossbow act for a number of years. And as you had said, you know, I come from, you know, six generations of circus and crossbow performance was one of the many acts that my sister had performed. And she uh, was basically phasing out of that portion of her life um, and was looking to do other things. And she had asked us, she goes, "Are oh, would you guys be interested in learning the crossbow act? And Naomi was all about it. I'm like,
2: yes. <laughs> and yeah. So you're saying, uh, what? Are you crazy? I'm like, well, no, then we can like integrate all our skills, you know, the martial arts, the dance, and then make it into something completely cool and 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 new, uh, just different. And right, we right. get to work together because that's essentially as a dancer, is oftentimes there's there's all these contracts and then separate. So um that was one also one of the main reasons that we're like okay and then we get to perform together and so it worked out right (laughs) because when we
0: met performing in musicals and and shows like that it's not always a given when you would show up in an audition that you would both get hired for the same show so this was was one way of doing that but um in terms of the crossbow performance uh you know my sister and brother-in-law, the way that they created their crossbow performance is that they were both shooters. So traditionally there was always an assistant that was holding various targets and then the other person would be the shooter, right? Well, they kind of broke that mold and it was the two of them, you know, doing it. And their very last trick was a ricochet effect, which was um, very common for previous crossbow acts where It would be a series of crossbows set up on the stage, pointed at one another, and one crossbow would fire, hit the target of that crossbow, which would fire, ricochet across the stage with arrows flying or bolts, as they are called for crossbows, um, until culminating to the apple on the head. Now, because there was two of them, they were able to stand at opposite sides of the stage and both receive an apple arrow to the head, uh, to the top of their head, which was really, which was really cool. And, you know, they were in Guinness Book of World Records and all of that. But for our purpose, what we wanted to do, um, we wanted to, first of all, integrate our dance. And we also kind of wanted to tell a story. Now, that last trick is very, very uh, dramatic, but it also takes a lot of time to set up, right? You're having to bring the crossbows out. You have to line up everything individually. It could take upwards to a minute and a half to, to set up just that last trick. And we thought, well, let's just cut to the chase. And I mean, really, what is it about? Shooting the apple off the head. So let me just do it freehand, which is actually requires more skill and is more dangerous because you don't have the, the luxury of having a stand. It's always set in the same. I mean, of course, things can malfunction, but generally, it's always going to print in the same direction. Whereas with us, I'm doing it freehand, so we wanted to make that a little bit different, and uh, and I think we kind of achieved that.
2: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, we're still here, right? So. Yeah, no oh extra God.
0: piercings <laughs> to report. <right laughs> <now. laughs>
3: it's a good day yeah. it was a good we day. haven't shot each other yet
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: just add each other yeah how much training
1: do you have to do though like how regularly are you practicing um shooting the crossbow uh to could maintain the skills for that because i can't imagine you just like you know, every time you do a show, there's got to be some training. So you make sure you. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. If, when we're not working, then we try to, you know, uh, practice at least what, three times a week. About three so. times a week.
0: Yeah, yeah. When we're not working. Yeah. And when we are working, it depends on the environment and the stage. Um, you know, there's so many different stages that we've performed on, but generally the distance, our shooting distance is 35 feet. Uh, I'm not quite sure how many meters that is <laughs> just yet. Uh, I don't know either. But I think it's like 15 meters, maybe a little bit more than that um, that's generally our distance. and when when it is that, um, we'd like to practice uh, during the day beforehand. just you know, to test off test fire a couple of shots just to make sure that the crossbow is functioning properly. That, that we're
2: functioning properly. <laughs> that we are
0: functioning properly, exactly. <laughs> and that's the other thing is the process. So you always have to check the equipment. You know, you can never take anything for granted yeah. um, in this kind of performance. You know, before when we were doing musicals and we were dancing, you know, we could be partying all night and you know, show up the next day and they're like, okay, let me uh throw in uh, you know, do a couple of tondus and have a, a throat lozenger for my vocal <laughs> warm-up and let's go on stage and do it, you know. <laughs> But this, you can't, you can't take anything for grass. I always have to check the bolts beforehand and yeah.
1: So you service all of your own equipment then, right? Like, and where does one buy a crossbow? Like who makes them?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the crossbows that we got were custom made that we got inherited from my sister and brother-in-law. But uh, the company that makes them is no longer. So those Mm -hmm. crossbows don't really exist anymore. I mean, there are store-bought crossbows that you can get, but for our purposes, uh, these are... I mean, they're just dialed in and I, and we have other crossbows that we can use because God forbid anything does happen to our equipment that it's in uh, uh, not be able to be repaired or something ha- else happens to it. We do have others, other equipment that we can go to, um, and execute it, uh, properly, but, um, yeah, it's they they are custom made, <laughs> which is nice. And I take, I take it all apart.
1: So your um, neighbors get a free a free show every time you're training in
0: the backyard. Is it- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we we train inside our house yeah, because we have a re, we get a really good sized house and a really long hallway that we can shoot down. So uh, we have the privacy of our own home. We can
1: okay, like, this shoot is- <laughs> the <drain> right there. <laughs> yeah. And when we have I guests over,
0: we make sure that we don't practice. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> or you don't yeah. we'll put a, like police tape up. You know, don't come down the <laughs> stairs. <laughs> morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: that's amazing. So do you think uh, this act is a little bit of the culmination of all your experiences because you bring all your uh, circus experience and tradition, but also some of your dance experience and all of the stunts and every really everything that you've been doing throughout your lives, both of you. So what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I would say that's exactly right. We We try to incorporate all these different experiences and our vocabulary of movements, if you will, into our performance. And it really depends on the theme. Um, One thing that we've done with our act is we haven't just created one act and run with it. Uh, we have all these different themes, all these different variations, and it depends on the show that we're working with and what they want. Sometimes, you know, we'll have a little bit more martial arts in it. So we'll do a sword fight before we actually pick up the crossbow. Other times it'll be mostly just about the crossbow, but always with a, a flare of uh, an integration of dance, some kind of movement in between the shots. We've also even developed uh, more of an adult version. Uh, we call it a crossbow burlesque where Naomi comes out uh, all decked out in balloons. So she has a tutu of balloons and two balloons attached to her breast, which are filled with confetti as well. So I come out and you know, I do a little dance with her. I, you know, I kiss her hand and she pushes me away and shuns me. So that prompts me to pick up the crossbow. And then that usually gets a good reaction from the audience. And then I start popping the the balloons off of her body one at a time and culminating in the you know her breast balloons if you will which creates confetti (laughs) everywhere it's a big mess it's fun but then the audience thinks you know okay that's that's the climax of of the number but it actually isn't because i'm only been doing the shooting at this point so they don't even usually think that oh she's going to pick up a crossbow now well she does she she we do a little bit of a dance and she rips my pants off and I have these short funny shorts on and then she hands me a long balloon she's like okay now it's your turn so she picks up the crossbow so then what do I do I take the balloon and I put it between my legs and she looks at the audience she goes no it's not that big bring it down so I have to bring it a little bit shorter she says no still not that big bring it down so I bring it a little bit closer so it's really really close and then she pops the balloon from between my legs and so that's another version so yeah, we try, to, we try to bring our theatrics into it, too. And then another thing that we're starting to work on and we're working on and developing is bringing singing into our performance again. So that's fun. Now that's going to present a whole other challenge. But, you know, that's one thing that we love to do is to right. challenge ourselves. Yeah,
2: exactly. We like to challenge ourselves and evolve and stay and be super creative with everything. So, yeah, so that's, that comes in very handy.
1: And I guess that's, you know, really what you know brings the the watchable part of it because you know the skill set is, alone is is great, but the theatrical and the story and the interaction is what makes it sets you apart from other people, you know in terms of a, of a performance. So you probably have to adapt quite regularly to different venues and whether it be, you know, like how fussy are you you know with audience if there's an audience in the round, if it's indoor or outdoor, lighting conditions, Do you have like a writer that says the conditions need to be like this so we can do our act correctly? Because I could imagine in some circumstances it's not always ideal and that would be then compromising your act.
0: Yeah, yeah, and our safety too, yeah. Um, We do have a writer, yeah, we do have a writer that uh, says that we would like to have this amount of space to do it in. Um, If For outdoor performances, we generally don't like to shoot in high winds
2: but having said that we're pretty flexible
0: yeah. <laughs> we are
2: and adapt uh pretty easily and always making sure of course that we're safe and that the audience is safe as well it's safe for everybody but um it's kind of a a cool thing that we actually can uh, in the what is it spiegel tent or in the round uh, in the round what is it uh regular theater outside indoor outdoor uh small, big stages uh, over the audience.
0: Um, Yeah, we've done just about every imaginable stage kind of configuration, going from shooting from one raised platform to another raised platform with audience underneath and in between. So, but because we are elevated and raised, they're safe, you know, but it it is firing over their head to the other stage. So that is quite exciting. Um,
2: So I don't think we're really fussy. (laughs)
0: Now, we're not we're not that fussy. and I mean, it's funny that you mentioned this, too, because, I mean, beforehand, years back now, we I was always under the impression that a crossbow act had to perform on a state on a large stage. We just we needed the space in order to to for it to be good. And we did this tour for Dos Equis beer. It was called the most interesting show in the world, <laughs> you know, based on their theme of the most interesting man in the world. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and it was a, a tour across the U.S. And the tour eventually brought us to New York. And on that tour, we went from performing on the largest stage, which was uh, the uh, yeah Webster Hall mm-hmm. in New York, performing on the smallest stage that we had ever performed on at that time which was the box nightclub in new york and the box had been courting us to come out to new york to perform there for a number you know for a couple of years prior and i just couldn't wrap my head around because it literally is a box you know the stage is is tiny i think it's only like uh 15 feet across if that and so I just couldn't wrap my head around that. And so we said, okay, you know, we're going to work on this. And as as the tour's uh, dates started to approach towards our New York engagement, we created a new number specifically for this. So I'm like, okay, let's try this and see how this worked out. And it was a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the audience loved it. The, the music was, you know, they really appreciated it. And it made me realize that the audience doesn't know that we typically shoot twice this distance or three times this distance they're only seeing what's in front of them and as long as it's connected and it's emotional they're they're going to enjoy it so that was that was a a, a good lesson learned i'm mm-hmm. like oh we can we can do this we're not limited to just performing on that type of stage
2: but i think also for the audience it's 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 kind of more exciting or more frightening however you want to put that and when they're close yeah and because it's really intimate and uh so they can actually uh, almost touch you but you know
0: in it's, some it's, cases it's, they it's, were it's, yep, right. <laughs> like Carmen when, when when we performed at right, Carmen, yeah. there was a nightclub <laughs> and we have this one shot where we, what we created was, uh, it's a heart. Basically it's a heart target and I put it on my chest and I let go. So the target is on me. She can't shoot high or wide. Otherwise she's going to hit my body. Right.
2: You so, are the target.
0: <laughs> yeah. I am the target essentially. <laughs> so when we were performing in this one club, there, We wanted to make it really, really exciting. And there was these two sofas, these two tables, basically. And I wedged myself in between them. And I put my hand on either side of me on a shoulder of an audience member on either side as she fired shot into my heart. Literally. So it was made, awesome. Yeah.
2: It was awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it's an immersive show. And uh, so so it was a nightclub within a nightclub. I actually Yeah, yeah, because it was
0: a story. It was basically yeah. the story of Carmen, but set in Havana, Cuba in the 1950s with a live Cuban band and some of the most incredible dancing and singing that I've had seen and heard. And, they, and because it was set at the Tropicana nightclub, they also had specialty acts within the story. So it was really fun. So we were one of the specialties and we had to create a new number, um, which was a whole salsa thing. So we did a salsa dance during that. And I think, it, I think that is the fastest number that we've created. Yet. I
2: believe so. I believe you Yeah, right. it's a, yeah.
0: a Tito Puente song that's just like, yeah, that's I mean, it's, it goes and goes, a yeah. rumba. And yeah, it was a lot of fun.
1: Ah, oh, that sounds super cool. I wish I could have seen that one. <laughs> but I agree, I agree with I agree with you with the intimacy. I think that's one of the reasons why the absinthe that in the in Las Vegas is attractive because you're so close to the performances and you feel them viscerally, right? Rather than being in a cirque show where you they're they're you know could be up to like 20, 30 meters away watching them, right? And some of that you know the, the the nuances of the way people move and the way that they express themselves can be missed from a distance. I, I love intimate performances. So
3: I was going to ask about the creative process because they kept doing some new acts. Well, the same act one and in many 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 different uh, ways and variations and and bringing so much from their backgrounds to this one act. So I'm curious about their creative process.
0: Well. It depends on the show, I guess, that we're going to perform in. It. Um, whether it's, you know, a nightclub, is it—is it slanted towards sexy adult, which we have those versions, obviously, or is it more family friendly? Is it a circus atmosphere or is it a theater stage? So we kind of approach our performances based on where we're going to perform and also the stage setup, too. That kind of also... Uh, dictates kind of what we're going to do and of course the
2: music is very very important so yeah
0: yeah and i like to choose our music uh, there was a couple of instances where music was presented to us and they were like okay we have to form and because we like to do everything on the music um, that includes the shots which provides another challenge on top of it you know so obviously we're dancing to the music but then we're cocking the bows, we're loading the bolts, we're aiming and we're firing on the on the beat. So that, you know, that is part of the whole creative process of like, well, I'll get a will get a song, and I'll work it out and I'll, I'll kind of like map it out. And, you know, now after years of doing that, we kind of understand the progression of shots that work best uh, within the context of a performance. And, um, you know, uh, Naomi and I will talk about it and, you know, she'll give me her input of what she thinks and like, okay. And then, and then we'll work on it. And then, because we know what the shots are going to be, it's oftentimes it's that linking in between is there a story to it? Like, are we doing uh, a vampire show, which we did, we did a vampire circus. So like, okay, we're going to play vampires now. So, Oh, you know, what would be great is, uh, you know, let's, let's sword fight. So we're actually more of an antagonist, you know, where we're fighting each other more so instead of being uh, coy about it. So yeah, it, it really depends on what it is, but oftentimes it begins with the music uh, music is something that really inspires us or an
2: idea or, or, or yeah, something, yeah. something that we've,
0: a theme, like yes. a theme yeah yeah so if we find yeah. we yeah. we latch onto a theme and we're like okay great now i got to find the music for it <laughs> so sometimes that takes a little bit of time um, you know as i mentioned before like the singing aspect that we wanted to start integrating into our into our act uh, you know it, it takes time to find the right song to to sing because you're not going to go out there and do a Broadway song you know that's not really our style anyway I mean you know what <laughs> you know when we when I performed on Broadway it was, it was Saturday Night Fever so I you know I was singing that kind of show it's not like a traditional Broadway show well
2: yeah but, but we did Aida but yeah we did and Aida like yeah so that rock was, and roll it was, yeah, it's
0: still rock and roll uh,
2: as, know, in, it's, as in you know it's Elton John so
0: yeah yeah but so. so you know so music lends itself uh um to dictate some often w- what it is, and then I'll go in and I'll edit the song to make it the right length. Um, because, you know, I I I love watching performances, but if it, if they drag on a little bit, I was like, oh, that could be just a hair shorter, and it would be dynamite. You know, so that's that little creative element or creative eye that i have i was like oh i would love to just say you know maybe just that but you know we do that for ourselves
2: right right and it's not it's not that we ever stop working on stuff even when a number is Mm -hmm. done then there's always room for more growth and and more refinement basically and that's that's what we keep doing so yeah and that keeps it interesting as well for us
1: And you do that, like, perhaps once the audience, you know, if the audience has received it and then you decide, oh, it could be a little bit faster there. It could be a little, like, once you've done it once in front of an audience and you see its reception, do you often do a lot of tweaks and... Yeah. Sometimes
2: already before when we're like, okay, you know what, Well, once we rehearse it and we're, like, going over it, it's like, wait a second, I think we can tighten this up a little bit or maybe we need a little bit more time here. And then eventually when we do perform it, uh, just depends on the... The show basically if there's more time if there's more performances, yes yeah. there's um, then there's more room for oh yeah
0: like when we were
2: tweaking right yeah
0: when we performed in in dresden uh in germany our first time performing the act in germany it was uh in this one venue that basically it was like a runway stage and it was <laughs> super long and they had a stage at the end but our performance was mostly on this runway stage where the people also ate and they would have their glasses and drinks on top of the runway stage so you had to navigate that so you know, we create the song and we're like, okay, this we I give ourselves this amount of time to walk or, you know, strut essentially to the music to get to the target area or to get to the firing area. And I think I had to change the music, I think like three times, maybe three, maybe even four times to allow ourselves enough time. Because like I said, we, we want to do it on the music. We want to make those shots happen on the beat. And so uh, this year I go, you know, the sound man sees me coming again. I'm like, sorry, dude. <laughs> I got, I've got another version of the song. <laughs> I needed to either trim or add, and uh, we finally dialed it in after a few performances. They're always
2: happy with it when you because you do it yourself, and you know,
0: yeah.
2: you have to spend the time <laughs> and do <deal> it, <with laughs> true, and all that stuff. So yeah. yeah,
3: which other parameters do you set uh, yourself besides having to shut on the beat? and doing things to the music. Do you have other kind of parameters or sticking to a certain aesthetic or, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, the parameters are generally the distance that we shoot. So, um, and that's always changing. You know, sometimes we're shooting at, you know, 11 paces. Sometimes it's only five or four paces. And within those parameters, we have to, uh, we always have to test fire beforehand because the closer the target is, the lower we have to aim. So that becomes a little bit challenging, especially when it's, you know, I'm shooting an apple off the top of her head. So we always have to adjust within those parameters. Um, but in in general, it's it's just uh, aesthetically what what the show is dictating or what the director wants, you know, so it's about the communication. And
2: also what we think looks good. Yeah. You know, how do we fill the stage? How did it, do we utilize the stage? You know, so we do rehearse and we do go over it and walk, walk through it, basically.
0: Yeah. We have to pace it out. Yeah. Yeah. And lighting obviously is very, very important for us.
2: It's kind of very important. However, that also, you know, there's there's also room for air. Uh, I remember on that same Doseki store in San Diego and we're about to do the overhead shot shooting at each other overhead. Yeah. Yeah. It was a dual overhead shot. Yeah. And (laughs) all of a sudden,
0: the, the lights, lights went, out. went
2: out. It was like a blackout for like half a second. So, um, yeah, how do you adjust to that? <laughs> It'll work. But so, yeah, there's um, stuff like that to consider, you know, stuff can go wrong outside of what we're doing already, which is dangerous enough. But, yeah. Yeah, a blackout so only, sounds kind
1: of terrifying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy.
0: It was. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. But we we did the shot. You yeah. Know, the lights some lights came on. Yeah, and we so were, we were able to see
2: it. To, and then um, yeah. That's still crazy. Yeah. Still pretty cool.
3: <laughs> Tell us about the kind of yoga you developed and uh, a little bit more. You you've mentioned a little bit already, but um so what how do you come up with this idea of mixing martial arts with, with yoga and what do you get out of it?
2: I yeah, go back a little bit. So I start. I did, I started, uh, at the age of four, I guess. And uh, with my dad and my two older brothers. And, um, so later on, so I kept that up for a little bit and then uh, focused on ballet, like you mentioned before. And, uh, so, but I always had an eye for it and kept up with it a little bit, and then when uh, we met, when Atavio, <laughs> we met in Amsterdam, so he uh, expressed a lot of interest in, um, in martial arts. And I mentioned to him, well, my, my dad is a sensei. He's so like, well, maybe, maybe, he, you know, you can train with him. So
0: Which I did. And so it was great. He became my sensei. So I had private instruction with him for an entire year that I lived in Amsterdam. Um, and so, you know, continue with our martial arts training, and which which also really helped in developing the stunts and the fight scenes for the Spider-Man live show that we did later on. But specifically for the yoga, uh, for the dragon vinyasa, we uh, eventually moved back to Las Vegas after we finished the Spider-Man tour. We had been living in New York, and after we moved back here to Las Vegas, uh, we started taking yoga seriously, taking yoga at a at a studio that a friend of ours was teaching at, and then there was this training this uh um, teacher training training, you know learn how to teach ashtanga and the the idea behind that wasn't necessarily that we wanted to become ashtanga teachers um our teacher maggie who also learned it from her teacher larry schultz who eventually also became our teacher too um, his thought was why not have your own personal practice that's one of the most powerful things that you can have because oftentimes he hears, Oh, you know, I would love to have come to class yesterday, but I just couldn't because I couldn't, I didn't have the time or whatnot. And he said, you know, well, why don't you just have your own practice? And that was the thought behind it. It's like, Oh, that's really powerful. You know, you develop your own practice so that you don't have to get in a car and drive to take a class. You just roll out your mat and you do your practice. And so it kind of grew from that. And When we went through the teacher training and they asked us after we led our classes and we, you know, we subbed a couple of classes and they asked us to become teachers at the, at the one studio, it was called It's Yoga, uh, which is also an international uh, school body. They have uh, studios all around the world. And, um, we were teaching yoga, and I th- had the idea. I thought, well, you know, it would be really great to integrate some martial arts to create a different kind of class to provide that to the students because that was something that I was kind of missing as well. I, you know, still do a little bit of my forms, but I thought it would be really neat to do that. And then once it was around the same time that we were developing our crossbow act, so it just kind of came hand in hand. I was like, well, wait a minute, this really helps us with our breath because. As you know, you know, as you had mentioned, the ujjayi breath is a big part <laughs> of the ashtanga system. You're constantly moving and everything is synchronized with the breath. Inhale up, exhale down and fold and all that. So I thought, well, it would be great to integrate that and then come into with the martial arts peppered throughout it with the quick martial art movement combined with the quick breath and then go right back to the Ujjayi breath to slow the heartbeat and calm the mind and, and relax the body. So that's kind of how we developed it. And from there, you know, it, it, Kind of took off people started coming to class and they really enjoyed it and so we thought well why don't we make vd out of it? <laughs> So we did and we went to the springs preserve which was newly opened which is a beautiful facility here in las vegas which is the site of the original spring of las vegas and so we filmed uh or taped rather our our whole dvd segment there and it, it went really good and um people responded to that as well but now we we kind of presented online, so it's all, We especially during the pandemic, because we would sell the DVDs, but I didn't have enough DVDs with me. And everything was stuck <laughs> here in Las Vegas. So I was like, Oh, okay, we're kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not providing the service for some people that want it. So I thought, Oh, why don't I just put it online, people can download it, and they can purchase it for, you know, not very much money but then they can just they can do it and we we didn't really do it for the money we just thought it was it was something fun that really benefited us and uh other people seem to enjoy it too so that's our dragon vinyasa story
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up I wanna maybe I can try that in my practice <laughs>
0: I'll send you a link.
1: I would love that. I would love that. It's interesting because you say that when you said people need to develop their own practice and, and also, you know, so they don't have to get in the car and drive to the studio and that sort of thing. I think that's really the reason that I've been able to continue to do it because I've lived in multiple countries or I'm touring with the show or I'm doing a gig somewhere and what's wonderful about that practice is that all you need is a space in a hotel room that you can put your mat and off you go. Having said that, you also need the discipline to do that and that that's another aspect of it. Some people need that sort of team or group activity to motivate themselves, right? So I, I find that it's quite interesting to see those who do define their own practice and regularly do it and then ones that need that social interaction to be motivated to do it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about The Grand Gypsy.
0: Well, The Grand Gypsy was a a book, basically, that my grandfather had written about his extraordinary life traveling the world and uh, seeing and experiencing all these historical events. He traveled the world during the the 20s and the 30s when doing so was not an easy task and it was an arduous journey. Um, He went to Uruguay and performed with the Sarasani Circus in the 20s came back to Italy and, um, you know, he, he basically uh, also talks about our genealogy, our, our history, you know, uh, my great, great, great grandfather, Eduardo Fumagalli uh, and his circus and how that kind of branched and traveled all, mostly throughout Europe and um, his, his performances. And then he, he traveled through the Middle East, in the 20s, before it was Iraq and Iran. It was called Mesopotamia at the time. He He went to Baghdad and performed there when they were paving the road for the very first time. He went to visit the Sphinx when only the neck and only the head was uncovered. The rest of the body was covered with sand. And then he came back Uh, a few months later and saw that they were excavating the rest of the body out. He took a photograph of it as well. So, and that's one of the remarkable things about his journey is that he took a lot of photos. So, which is great because you have these remarkable stories, but then you have all these historical photographs that, uh, That just kind of hit you and just really transport you to that time and period. Yeah, so he, um, you know, he witnessed a rally for Mahatma Gandhi in India in 1931. I mean, he toured the Far East in the, the, like I said, the late 20s into the early 30s. And he spent five years in Asia, in the Far East. And um, eventually came back, um, brought an Indian performer with him and went to Czechoslovakia. And that's when Ringling Brothers came uh, scouting for acts and saw them and booked them, booked the whole family to come to the United States in 1932. So they, he performed and my family performed throughout the U.S. and they continued on. And then they also created the first dinner theater in Florida which was one of the first dinner theaters in the United States. It was called the Casa Canestrale Circus Restaurant. And my grandmother was an outstanding cook it was Italian food. So she would literally be in the kitchen Cooking food, the show would be happening, and then it would be her turn to come out and perform. And she was an opera singer. So she would, it would gesture her, Mama, come and perform. So she would come out from the kitchen, take off her apron, hand it to somebody, come and sing a couple of opera songs, and then go right back into the kitchen to finish the meals for the, for the show. So when you think about it, you know, I mean, oh, there's all these dinner theaters, right? Especially in Europe and Germany, it's like, it's all the rage it's great. And my family were one of the pioneers of that. But the difference is that my grandmother was actually in the kitchen, cooking the food and performing in the show at the same time. So there was a little bit of difference. And then my grandfather wanted to get back into show business after the restaurant and He developed a chimpanzee act and he toured the world again in the 60s when most men were winding down their careers and looking towards retirement. He just developed this chimpanzee act that was extremely popular. And then um, eventually landed uh, the job at the Circus Circus Casino in Las Vegas, which had just opened in like 1968. Um, And then he suffered uh, an accident and was no longer uh, able to perform. So he set his sights on writing the book. And he wrote this marvelous uh, manuscript, which was massive. There was this massive book. It was all single type pages with all these photographs and newspaper articles uh, uh, glued to various pages. And so I took the book and uh, with the the blessing of my family and, and my mom, decided to okay this story needs to be told it's just it's too good and anybody who's ever read it they said um you know before even before it was published it's like oh this is a story that needs to be told this is this is a movie or it's a series you know so because it's it's that kind of grand scale so it took me a little bit of time to figure out how to present it because i wanted to present it in his voice as much as possible because that's the driving force of the project is it's his book and so i contribute, um, you know, of course, I edited all his text, and then I had to put everything in a correct timeline. The interesting thing was, you know, making, uh, noticing the differences of the places that he visited compared to the times that we may have gone to perform in a place like in Indonesia. He performed on the island of Sumatra and Borneo in the 20s, when they were still practicing cannibalism, and they were warned, do not go into the jungle, you will be killed and eaten. (laughs) So it's really remarkable. So I eventually took it, uh, got to publish the book. And just recently did uh, an audiobook now. So when we finished our performances in Germany, we went to a recording studio that actually Naomi's brother uh, is partners with yeah. in Düsseldorf. And we laid it down for a week, uh, spent a week just going in there every day and knocking out you know, a few chapters at a, at a time, and created this audiobook and, which is now for sale. So I got the ebook, the paperback, and now the uh, audiobook which I'm, I'm happy about. I'm thrilled. Uh, the family is ecstatic about it, so that's great that the story's out there.
3: That's a really good one. I, I enjoyed the stories. I enjoyed hearing about countries that I hadn't heard since my history lessons or traveling back to those places. It's like, oh, yes, this was a country. This existed. <laughs> this was like this. <laughs> it right. was so good. Right. And then all this, it just puts... So much has happened in the past hundred years, and it puts so much into perspective. I don't know how that worked out for you guys, but for me, it was like, wow, like a hundred years ago, you could travel with a giant snake your, in your suitcase. <laughs> that <would not> happen. <laughs> <laughs> right
0: no yeah <laughs> well I mean technically it wasn't supposed to happen but he did it anyway <laughs> and then when they discovered it they were like okay well I guess we'll let you keep the snake <laughs> and then when they you know when they arrived in New York you know all the newspapers knew about it so it was this big event of them arriving in Ellis Island and there's a picture of them uh, I think it's the the daily news the New York daily news of holding the snake with I think there's like nine of them holding this 25-foot uh, boa constrictor, which incidentally attacked him on his opening day in Madison Square Garden with Ringling Brothers. His American premiere, he gets attacked by the snake, <laughs> which is quite a dramatic story.
3: I'm sure that snake has seen or did, did see more places than I have seen. I, like, I've been uh, traveling <laughs> all around the world. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, he loved that snake. It's amazing, though,
3: that he had
1: taken a camera because obviously cameras would be fairly rudimentary back in those days so it would have been a bit of an effort to cart a camera around and take photos but what a wonderful way to you know record the history of your family to have done that as well as his memories you know absolutely I i think
2: he was definitely ahead of his time with everything
0: yeah he certainly as well was. so
2: yeah so it's not so surprising that he actually brought a camera because he just wanted to document everything from
0: yeah and there was you know obviously there was always press around too so that was a big thing you know a big part of it so there was always photos being taken um, of of the circus itself so he took advantage of that most certainly
1: yeah and collected all of those memories as well it's a no, it's amazing because that's that that like you said it it really would um make it uh, a livable thing for people to see pictures of what he's
3: talking about. I feel like also as um, not only the sto- his story and the story of your family, but it is also a, a document of history that we don't get to see. Like we usually see and read history through the official books and this is a real person version of the story. You know, how did it, how did the war happen to him? Like, how did he experience the wars? How did he experience traveling? Uh, How did he experience being on a boat? How, you know, all those things and how the world changed in those many years that he spent traveling. And so this is a real story. We can take like the real version of a person, not the unified official story of
0: history. Right, it's it's an intimate experience of what he relays, you know, particularly like like the war, World War One, like you like you had mentioned, um, yeah, and it's interesting to note that it was his circus training that helped him survive certain portions of the war, uh, particularly when the bridges would get blown up. Uh, that was one of the things that was very dramatic for him uh, because you had uh, you had all these battalions of motorized vehicles and then all these panic-stricken refugees that would quickly gather all their belongings, and you'd have donkeys and carts and all these things. So there was all these bottlenecks uh, that were uh, culminating at the bridges. And of course, when the advancing German army was coming and the shots were heard, that was the cue to blow up the bridge, no matter who or what was on it. So that happened to him a couple of times, and he was on this bridge when The Germans were firing upon them and he had to climb over the car that he was traveling in and jump from car to car. And then when that didn't work, he had to go outside the safety rails and swing hand for hand outside of the safety girds of the bridge until he got across before it was blown up. So circus training can save your life sometimes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The moral of the story. I love the moral the story. story. Exactly. It's, it's not just for
0: show, folks.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that, that, if that's not a motivator, I don't
2: know what
3: is. Survival skills.
0: Exactly. Yeah take take your training seriously <laughs> because it could save yeah. your life. <laughs>
1: And finally, I think the other thing to reflect on is that there's actually not a lot of people, most people are so busy in the entertainment industry and live entertainment, putting their product out there and performing and touring, whatever. There's not a lot of reflection and written work about people's lives in entertainment and, and something that we've learned on Theatre Our Life and what we try to you know engage with people with you and, and everyone around the globe is to try and people in entertainment are really fascinating people you know they're not just what they you see on stage but you know like you you as an example all of this catalogue of um, experience and history and yoga and martial arts and um, circus history and it's just you know there should be more and more of that fascinating stories of people in the entertainment industry telling their stories because I think it's so much more sometimes even more fascinating than what happens on stage is, is their lives behind it. So, um, you know, I think it's amazing that you did that for your grandfather and also for your family and um, hopefully we see more of it in the future with other people putting their work out there
0: yeah thanks yeah it's fun yeah it's yeah, i think it's interesting what it takes to bring a performance or what it takes to bring something to the stage as well and their back history for that and that's one thing i love about the podcast too and your your guys' podcast has been great uh listening to people's stories and you know how they got from point a to point b um, or even the process of listening to uh the Previous podcast with Justin, who we had worked with on a Dragon project, which ultimately didn't happen. But it was nice to hear his process too, and like how he developed into becoming this multi-camera uh, director and and all of that. So it's yeah, it's it's really great to to hear that. So kudos to you guys too for bringing these stories to life.
3: I have a last question. I think I really want to see or hear how all this process that uh, I'm sure you Naomi went through as well all this research and hearing all these stories, how does this brings on to your life and to your performing and to your disciplines? And yeah, what what has been that experience on a personal level to you?
2: All the experiences? Yeah.
0: And there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. So it's
2: kind of hard to define everything. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I just, with the book, I just learned so much of the history. You know, I don't have a circus background per se. So in that for, in that regard, I learned a lot. And I edited the book. So, you know, yeah. it's like... First up of my English, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, because English is not your first language. Exactly. Dutch is your first language. So, uh, uh,
2: and and the and uh, the audiobook was was a completely different experience, uh, and that was great because I was was able to because Otavia um, read the whole book through, and I was able to, you know, to direct it if you will mm-hmm. from from the other side. And it was really really interesting to to be a part of that. Also because it's you know that we were able to do it at my uh, brother's studio Creative sounds so that was already uh super cool because you know i don't see him so so much because we live so normally we live so far apart uh so it was nice to spend time with him there and see him in action there and uh but uh, yeah, the the process of the audiobook was was
0: was great. Yeah, normally because we're normally traveling so much, and that's the thing. with the you know COVID kind of put everything to a grinding halt. You know, we performed in Macau and and all these different places, Indonesia, like I said before, and that's uh, been great and it's been fun. But you didn't realize how much you take that for granted, uh, and that was something reflecting back on my grandfather and how he traveled. You know, they it would take weeks to get on a boat to get somewhere i mean he almost lost his life going uh traveling from germany to uruguay they encountered this massive storm and the ship you know <laughs> nearly rolled over into the sea and um yeah, there was a lot of a lot of damage. Some of the performers were injured on that. And here we are, and we're like, you know, oh man, we gotta take this 15 hour flight. <laughs> so you just kind of like put things into perspective, yeah, right? Yeah, especially which, going through the book.
2: Which is in the the following uh, phrase of like, oh yeah, but you're by my grandfather. And it's like, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, no, I don't think we take it for granted so so much. It's just no. it's just
0: especially not now, not, especially <laughs> not
2: now. Yeah. Yeah. But the traveling has been so great and to explore, you know, other countries and cultures and together and, yeah. and to be able to perform in all these different stages, different venues, indoor, outdoor, whatever. Yeah. So, so yeah. So um, hopefully that's going to
0: continue. <laughs> yeah, I have continue. faith. I <laughs> have faith. <that> things <laughs> will continue. It's just going to take a little bit of time to get back to normal, but I mean, When I say back to normal, it's do we never really go back to normal, right? This is something that we're going to have to live with essentially, and it'll be mitigated, but it'll always be around there'll always be some kind of threats in some port. And I guess, I mean, that's one of the things that I do love about our job is that we get to travel to these places and experience these different cultures. And and there's always different rules for different places, you know, bringing crossbows into China had to be shipped. Generally, you know, we're very self-contained. We we put everything as luggage and then we arrive and we have all our props with us and we're ready to rock and roll and go. But uh, places like China has to be shipped and Dubai, you need to, we had to have a, an official letter from the Ministry of Defense. (laughs) And uh, we had security escort in and out. And even in Macau, I mean, man, in Macau, we had our own personal security guard that would basically guard the crossbows. And when the crossbows, you know, after we get done uh, doing our practice, our security guard would, would stay with the crossbows. We would get ready for the performance. We come pick up our bows. (laughs) She would follow us onto the stage, be in the wings while we performed. There was a police officer in the audience as we performed. So they were hypersensitive, but you Know we figure whatever it takes for them to be comfortable <laughs> so so for us to make this performance happen. Um, so a- every country is different, so that's another you know learning experience. is like, okay, so this is this is how it's done here, so we uh so we just have so, to, adapt. So,
2: yeah, so that's that's always a learning process, but you know, so it's, it's fun and it always works out in the end, and
0: yeah, that's good, it does.
1: And if your grandfather can survive a big, long trip and an almost shipwreck, we can survive a pandemic, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, inspiring. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, um, you know, spending an hour with us today. It's really great to hear about your work and your life and your books and your yoga and the Crossbow acts. Wow, you have a very eclectic career and um, it's really inspiring to hear your stories.
0: Thank you so much. Thank
3: you so much for having
0: us. Be safe.
3: You too. And we will add um, links to your book and um, the audiobook and the, the dragon Vinyasa website and all that on the notes. So folks can, can look for you. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you.
1: We would love to hear from you, our listeners on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free. And if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zaire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast. Thanks for listening.